Do you ever read or hear a good story in the news that just speaks to your heart? A good story that inspires you? A story that while it seems like everyone is arguing about one thing or another, just gives you hope for the future? This past week, I read a story like that. It was one that I just really, really needed to see. It was just steeped with good news of community coming together to help people who were in need. The news story reported about 36 migrants in their 20s and 30s from Latin America who were promised jobs and legal assistance if they boarded a plane and came to the United States. Upon arriving in Sacramento, however, they found that the person who had made all of these promises to them had somehow sort of mysteriously disappeared. And these 36 migrants were left in Sacramento speaking no English and according to the story did not even have a change of clothes or a toothbrush in their possession. An incredible thing happened, though, that the Sacramento community rallied together to care for these migrants, helping them with basic supplies like overnight shelter, shoes and clothing, and hygiene items. But what really struck me, though, especially as I was in the midst of preparing for the sermon this morning, was that this community that surrounded these 36 migrants was built up of over 30 faith communities, including Jewish, Christian, and Muslim congregations coming together to serve in a time of crisis and deep, immediate need. And if that's not the gospel in action, then I don't know what is. This morning, we are starting a new sermon series called Awaken that will walk us through some of the prophets throughout the month and what we can still learn from them in our modern society. Today, we will look at the book of Isaiah, and throughout the month, we will also explore the writings of Amos, Obadiah, and Habakkuk. We will be challenged and inspired to awaken to the needs of people and groups and communities all around us as we explore awakening to sin, awakening to the poor among us, awakening to the plight of others, and the last week of the month, awakening to hope. As we prepare to receive God's word today, let's pray. Holy God. We thank you for your Holy Spirit in this place. We know that your Spirit dwells among us, and we welcome the peace that comes from knowing you and being in a relationship with you. God, this morning we ask that you not only give us ears that are willing to hear, but hearts that are willing to listen. May we be open to the gentle nudges of your spirit, and may we come alongside one another in love as we learn about your good and perfect love for us. Amen. And before we dive into the text, and really before we dive into the sermon series at all, we should probably clarify for one another, for our own understanding, what a prophet is and what a prophet is not, for our own understanding. We sometimes tend to think of a prophet as a fortune teller or someone who predicts the future. In the biblical context especially, we tend to think of prophets as people who foretell the coming 
birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But in the context we will explore together this morning and throughout the month, we will be thinking of the prophets uh, not as someone predicting the future, but the purpose of a prophet is to speak on behalf of God for God's people. And the beauty of the scriptures is that you and I still have so much to learn from the prophets, um, even in our modern times. This morning, to kick off our sermon series, we'll be exploring Isaiah and talking about becoming awakened to sin. But before we get to the heart of the matter, I think that we should clear the air. I know that sin can be a challenging topic to talk about. Talking about our sin makes us feel vulnerable with one another. It really bears us down to our studs. Externally, sin admits to the world that we are not always who we try to be. And inwardly, it leaves us feeling separated from God. Sin, as we talk about it in the church, is the thing that separates us from God. It's when we get out of step with God and God's will for us. It's when we get distracted by the world and we lose sight of God and God's purposes. And sin is often something that we think about on an individual basis. We all have vices that we struggle with as individuals. But in Isaiah and then the prophets in general, sin is addressed corporately or as a community. So what is corporate sin? If you were to do a Google search of corporate sin, and I wouldn't recommend that you do that because it will leave you feeling uneasy and distressed, but if you were to do a Google search of corporate sin, you would find list upon list of examples of what corporate sin is. It often includes things like discrimination, racism, misogyny, greed, injustice, and oppression. Corporate sin refers to any sin committed on a large scale by a community or a society as a whole, and especially that which diminishes one group of people in order to promote another. And I think now is a time I think we should all take a deep breath and release some of the tension that we might be feeling in our bodies talking about sin. Talking about sin is uncomfortable. I know that some of you come to church because you want to be filled up with the Holy Spirit and inspired by what God is doing, and that talking about tough topics like sin can just feel like another blow in an already challenging life. But hear me say that it is absolutely crucial that we as Clay Church have these conversations about sin. Having these tough conversations helps to keep our congregation healthy. It holds us accountable to one another. And having these types of conversations in loving ways reminds us of the grace and the hope that we find in Jesus as each and every one of us tries to transform our lives to fully embrace one another in the love that Christ so freely offers to us. Let's explore together what the prophet Isaiah says in the first part of chapter 5. And remember that um, Isaiah is not speaking on his own behalf, but is speaking on the behalf of God when he says, I will sing for the one I love. 
a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have possibly, what more could have possibly been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. This morning, as we wrestle with this topic of sin, and especially corporate sin, the sin that we as a people commit as a society, hear verse 7 as it appears in the message version. Do you get it? The vineyard of God of the angel armies is the country of Israel. All the men and women of Judah are the garden he was so proud of. He looked for a crop of justice and saw them murdering each other. He looked for a harvest of righteousness and heard only moans of victims. As we tackle talking about corporate sin, we are going to have to get into the weeds here a little bit. What is all this business Isaiah talks about, about vineyards, and how can it help us to understand the ancient Middle Eastern society? Those living in Judah at the time would have understood what the prophet Isaiah was alluding to when he talked about the vineyard of the Lord Almighty. But you and I are removed from that society, and we need a little bit more context to understand the message that God is delivering to God's people. In the ancient Middle East, terraced vineyards utilized hillsides to be able to work. They had these walls that were built out of stones, and they required just an enormous amount of maintenance, a huge amount of maintenance to keep them from falling apart. If just one wall crumbled, like dominoes, it would affect the integrity of the entire vineyard. With these ancient rainstorms, I'm sorry, with these ancient structures, a heavy rainstorm is all that it would take to wipe out a vulnerable wall and wash away the entire vineyard. And it would possibly cause a landslide in the process. But terraced vineyards, this is an interesting part, they were community resources. Unlike today's agriculture where one farmer or maybe one family of farmers will own dozens or even hundreds of acres of land, these terraced vineyards were a shared resource for the community. Families would own portions of the vineyard or certain walls of the vineyard and be responsible for the maintenance of that wall or that section of the vineyard. The problem was that you couldn't always see your full wall, though, because they would run on for, for several miles, um, but your neighbors would be able to see portions that you couldn't see. And likewise, you would be able to see portions of your neighbor's wall that maybe they wouldn't be able to see. In ancient Judah, neighbors 
society, community members would have relied on one another to say, hey, your wall has some loose stones about a quarter mile that way. Or, hey, I don't know if you knew this or if you noticed, but you actually are missing an entire portion, an entire section of your vineyard wall down that way. So looking out for one another's walls, one another's vineyard sections became absolutely vital to the health of this community. In this way, each individual family was not only responsible for taking care of their own wall, but also looking out for one another's walls and keeping the entire vineyard from crumbling. Are we understanding our own God-given call to invest in our communities? In reading the scriptures and understanding all of this historical context, do we see how being awakened to the needs of each person is crucial to our community's well-being? You see, our individual areas of this proverbial vineyard are dependent upon our neighbors, and our neighbors' areas are dependent upon our own. When we neglect our neighbors and fail to foster and maintain a community that loves and cares for one another, while also upholding accountability for one another, our entire vineyard, our entire community, becomes at risk of collapse. We can't only keep vigil over our own vineyard and live a life that is individualized. We need to watch out for one another's vineyards as well. And watching out for one another's vineyards includes being awakened to those in our communities who are crumbling, those who are disenfranchised, those who are oppressed, and those who are broken. Knowing the historical context will help us to understand this text in a more modern discourse. In this passage, we know that the people of Judah are, at least on paper, doing everything right. They are offering their sacrifices. They are participating in the Levitical worship gatherings. They're praying. They're following the laws. But what they're not doing is paying attention to what is happening all around them. All of these things, all of these sacrifices, all of these worship gatherings, all of this obedience, all of these things are empty and worthless to God because the people of Judah are not first doing what is right and what is just. You see, the people of Judah had become comfortable. They weren't paying attention to the community around them, those who were suffering, even as threats from the enemy, Assyria, were growing. In times of national struggle, we read that the people of Judah weren't caring for the oppressed, for the foreigner, for the orphaned or widowed. The people of Judah are not hearing the cries of those in need and becoming inward focused on building their own individual empires instead of working together to welcome the outcasts of society. They had become so focused on caring for their own walls that they weren't looking to take care of anyone else's. They weren't paying attention to anyone else's. So in this passage, God is criticizing the greed and the injustice that is happening among the people of Judah and calls them instead to live a life of justice. 
When you and I, too, ignore the needs of others, or we think that someone else will do something and we dismiss ourselves of responsibility, it leaves room for sin to dwell in ourselves and in our church and in our community and in our society. But God awakens us to understand that sin only builds a safe and comfortable community for ourselves at the expense of others. You see, God created us to be holy, and to be holy is to be set apart. God has called us to reject injustice, to see the plight of others, to become awakened to corporate sin and how it affects countless people right here in our own communities. In Matthew's gospel, some of you might know the story of the religious leaders asking Jesus to identify the greatest commandment. The book of Matthew says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. In Luke 10, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, illustrating what it means to love our neighbors, to love personally, to serve, sometimes sacrificially, and to act for the good of others. That is what it means to render justice. This past week, I was talking to someone about the active missions that are happening right here at Clay Church as we were preparing for our backpack and beyond distribution. This person said, there's just so much need right before our eyes. And she's right. Awakening to sin allows us to see the injustice right before our eyes and then to act in love as a means to restore justice in our community. In the news article that I mentioned earlier, one of the people interviewed said that she is invested and involved in her faith community out of a desire to create a world where people are seen with dignity and respect. And another interviewer said, or another interviewee said, this is exactly what Jesus would teach us to do. We're supposed to welcome refugees and strangers. It's all about hospitality and welcoming. Vineyards, community, there it is again. The fact is that we won't always agree on solutions to corporate sin, but how we treat people how we care for people, how we see the humanity in each individual person, that is what sets us apart as God's holy church. And through all of this, though we find that what seems to be doom and gloom as we read through the prophets together, what we will also find is a message of hope tucked into the midst of it, like a sliver of light that pierces through the darkness. The sin that keeps us hidden in the darkness, God wants to expose it to light. 
And when we expose our sinfulness to light, like we're doing right now, we take one more step in being in right relationship with God. We take one more step in growing in closeness with our God who created us and loves us and desires to be in that relationship with us. We take one more step in holding ourselves and one another accountable in love. Awakening, us, awakening to sin builds a community of love and support for everyone as we strive towards the goodness that God invites us into. Because God is a God of love and a God of forgiveness, God gives us the gift of hope in the prophets. Isaiah chapter 4 tells us that God will wash away any filth. God will cleanse bloodstains. God will create. God will be like the glow of a flaming fire in the night. God will be shade in the heat of the day. And God will be our refuge from the storms. God is a God of grace and a God of hope. What can happen in our hearts and in our lives and in our church and in our world as together we become aware of as we awaken to the sin that is all around us? In just a few moments, we will have the opportunity to participate together in Holy Communion. And as part of today's liturgy, we will also have the opportunity to confess that we, too, stumble into corporate sin and to praise God for the freedom found in Christ Jesus. As we prepare our hearts to receive Holy Communion, I offer this prayer. God of mercy and love, we posture our hearts in thankfulness. We thank you for the ways you speak to us and through your word, and we are grateful that your word endures across generations and centuries and millennia. We thank you for the ways you continue to speak into our hearts and into our lives as we seek to be in right relationship with you. God, we know that we will never understand how great your love is for us, how you would offer yourself in the flesh to offer us an eternity with you. We praise you for the forgiveness of sin as we ask for your guidance, as we work towards and hope for a world that encounters more people with your redeeming love. Amen.